Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from people in our community. These successful neighbors of ours will share their real life philosophies and solutions for success to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She's an architect, principal, and the director of design engagement at McMillan Pazden Smith Architecture. She's been involved in a number of the firm's award-winning projects, including work at Christchurch Episcopal School, Wofford University, Converse College, Clemson University, College of Charleston, the Greenville Humane Society, the Columbia Metropolitan Convention Center, and the Peace Center for the Performing Arts. In addition to these great achievements, our guest is focused on making the world a better place. She is passionate about the difference that she can make in our communities through design. She deeply understands the truth that if she can make her world a better place, she's making the whole world a better place. I'm excited to get to know our guest better and share her stories and wisdom with our audience. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Carrie Perkins. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Jonathan. Nice to be here. Yeah. Glad to have you on. Carrie, if you don't mind, if I jump right in, first make a note of the fact that you are a very successful architect. You may not call that yourself successful, but I'm going to call you that if that's all right. Okay. Uh, prob- probably the most successful architect I've ever personally met. Your list of achievements is a mile long. Holy cow. If, if a listener is aspiring to be an architect, what specific advice would you give them to start their career? Mm, good question. Well, if they, if it's somebody who is young in high school or even in college, really, you know, I would definitely recommend taking any any classes where you're doing problem solving or any kind of creative expression or communication. Yeah, you know, when I was teaching at young school, some of the parents of my students would always say to me, "Well, you know, my child isn't good in math, so I didn't think they would be good in architecture." That's just that that's just not fair, right? <laughs> because right. because architects are good at all sorts of things. And it's really, I think, more important to, to be able to think creatively and communicate your ideas. And so being good at math is a great thing, but it's not that's not the first thing at the top of the list for architects. So I so that's what I that's what I would say to young people who are interested in architecture is just take some different classes, art classes or um, any anything, any activities where you're learning how to prop, solve problems creatively. Yeah, that's and that's kind of the main job there, right? As an architect, is figuring yeah. out how to solve solve problems. It really is. I actually, I actually think of myself first as a problem solver because there's all kinds of things that clients need that aren't even necessarily aesthetic solutions, right? It's just they're just trying to use space better, or they're trying to figure out what to do with an old building or something like that. And so it's a lot of fun to try to figure out how to help them do that. So what do you think is, Carrie, what do you think is one of those t- toughest problems that you had to solve at some point? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, I'll tell you, the one that's, that comes up on almost every type of project is a lot of people think they're out of space, you know, and they need to make an addition to their building when really they just, maybe there's just better ways to use the space they have. And so we help clients a lot of times just think about what they're really trying to do in their building even, even if it's a new building, what it is they're trying to do, how they want to use their space, how they can make the best use of space and stay flexible and allow themselves to grow in that building for a long time. And so, so a lot of it is just 
talking that through how they're going to use their building more so than even what it looks like sometimes, you know, or if they need actually more space like they think they do. Gotcha. So if they they, uh, they want to make the most out of what they've got. So they're trying right. to make more, add more stuff on there to right. That's right. for That's their space. Right. Yeah. So we, we spoke to a little bit of aspiring architects. How about any advice for current architects that want to take their career to the next level, Carrie? Oh, man. I think that all architects would, we would do ourselves a service if we focus all the time on who's using the building. And that's actually, speaking to students too, actually, because when we learn architecture, a lot of times we focus on what the building looks like, you know, and how to design a beautiful building. And that's obviously a part of it, but it's so important to think about who is actually living in your building day in, day out. Now, we at MPS, we do commercial architecture. So, so I'm not talking to maybe a homeowner who lives in their house. I'm talking to faculty members who work in a school, or we might talk to doctors who are in a hospital or something like that. And so constantly thinking about how they use their building and how we can make their lives easier through the layout of the building or the design of it somehow is so important. But I don't know that we, I don't, we need to be reminded of that all the time, all the way through your career as an architect. So from the early stage, even when, when students are in school learning architecture, to, to always think ahead about, you know, who might, who might actually live in this building all the time and how do my design decisions affect them? Can you give me an example of like, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking of if you're designing an old folks home, you don't want to make it eight stories high with only stairs. <laughs> right, that's right. That's but, true. Yeah. But what, what, what other examples can you give me? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. So you mentioned Greenville Humane Society. It's one of my favorite clients of all time. We, we continue to, to work for Greenville Humane Society. And we did their original project and had, um, had kind of a surgery suite. And we, we worked really closely with the veterinarian who was going to operate the surgery suite. And so it was very specifically designed according to that, how that vet kind of wanted to do surgeries for all of these shelter animals. Well, years go by and, 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 you know, people start using the space a little differently and they start running into problems. And then they would say, like, well, this isn't working as well as we, as it used to. And so you have to start asking questions like, well, how is it, how are you operating that room differently now? You know, how many surgeries are you doing a day? What are you doing with the clean towels? What are you doing with the dirty towels? You know, and you have to like walk through all this stuff. And, and then you really learn, oh, well, the whole way that they're doing surgeries has changed because maybe there's different people or it's just a different process involved. And so then I can help them to either reconfigure the space or reconfigure the process to actually use the space that they have. So that, that, that's an interesting one. All, I mean, every project has those kind of things, you know, it's, it's just trying to get in there and understand what people are doing with their building and how you can help them use the space uh, more wisely, more efficiently, and, and actually more successfully. Do you guys ever come to butt heads with uh, the construction company that they're looking at your blueprints and then uh, trying, to, trying to make this <laughs> blueprint image a reality? Yeah, I should probably skip this question. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That, yeah, you know, there's always, that's always like the thing, right? That architects and contractors sit on different sides of the table. But, but the truth is, everybody is trying to do a great project, you know? And, and I try to remind myself of that all the time, that even, even when it is really tense or maybe we're coming at it from different angles, everyone just wants to do a good job. You know, everyone wants to end up with a great building that the owner is happy with. And so if we can just try to see eye to eye and kind of keep that common goal in mind, it makes life a lot easier. But a big part of 
a big part of architecture. And I would think kind of any, I mean, any creative field where you have these different people coming together to make something a reality, you know, to turn an idea into a real thing out in the world, you know, you've got all these different opinions, all these different interests. It's expensive, you know, I mean, so the, the owner of a building is stressed out because they're spending millions of dollars on it. There's a lot to navigate in that. And sometimes there's conflicts to resolve. And so how do you do that well and with integrity and with honesty? It's, that's yeah. a big part of the job. Yeah. Well, kudos to you. You did a great job of answering that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I'd like to pivot here real quick, Carrie, and talk about you. Talk about Carrie Perkins. Can you share a bit about your journey? Like what made you choose to become an architect to begin with? And then maybe some, some challenges that you came along the way to rise through the ranks. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was a little kid, I grew up in Louisiana, and our neighbor happened to be our priest at our church, but he was also an architect. And I was super fascinated with with him because he had all these awesome tools. You know, he had a big drafting table and had all these all these cool tools and this great lamp, and he was always kind of drawing stuff and doing different things. And I thought that was it. Just seemed like he had a really great job. And I was really interested in art. I was always kind of an art kid, ended up going to college and studying art. But architecture was always still in the back of my mind, but I just wasn't quite sure how I wanted to make my way into that. So I had a little bit of a windy path. I mean, I majored in art, went into graphic design and advertising for a little while, but architecture kept popping up in the back of my head. And so eventually I came to work at an architecture firm, but doing marketing. And that was kind of my way to just sort of see what it was like, because it's a big thing to get an architecture degree and get licensed in architecture. That was a big process. I wanted to make sure I thought I would enjoy that. And I wanted to understand the culture of an architecture firm, what that was all about. So I came to, to work and, and was working in marketing as a way to just kind of test the waters a little bit and, and just loved it. I mean, I just I just loved it. I loved the, the culture of it. I loved that everybody was trying to solve problems. I loved that there's all these different areas of expertise in architecture. Some people are very artful and creative. Others are very technical and and have an engineering brain. So I thought that was super fascinating. There's just all these different characters involved in the process. And so I did that for a little bit and then went back to school and got my master's. And then and then actually came back to the same firm after that. So, so I obviously loved it. But but I did have a little bit of a windy path. And I tell you, you know, and anytime people ask me about that, I actually share that I'm really thankful for that because a lot of people do go straight through architecture. And that's that just wasn't my, that wasn't what was right for me necessarily. So I, I value the fact that I kind of picked up different things along the way. And I have a, I think I have a different perspective in architecture than a lot of architects who went straight through. And so I hope, and I like to, th- I like to think that that adds value to what I do now. Yeah, I can see that as coming from an artist and graphic design and even marketing background, that you're seeing a lot of the strings that behind the 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 yeah. I don't know the the puppet. I don't know what yeah, you call yeah. it. The, you're seeing the the magician's tricks that that other people may not even see. They're just seeing the one thing, uh, seeing it from one angle. But you can see that problem or that issue or that challenge from several different angles because of your history. Yeah, Clemson. So I went to Clemson. Clemson has a program specifically for people with different undergraduate degrees. That's the program that I did. But a lot of schools have that same program. And what I love about that is it really 
just proof that it's never too late to go into to, to change your career at all, but certainly not to go into architecture. Because what was so beautiful about that program I was in is, you know, there was a guy who studied biology. There was someone who was, had been pre-law who was now in there in architecture. Of course, there were several of us who had been art majors, you know, but there was just a, just the diversity in that group was so cool. And everyone had a different perspective on design. And so I'm sure that that same program at other schools has that same level of diversity because it's, it's meant for people with different undergraduate degrees to help you make your way into architecture. And I'm sure right now there are a lot of people changing career paths at this point in yeah. history, what, what would, if somebody is looking for a new career path, what would necessarily make them good at architecture? Well, just really, I mean, thinking creatively, whether they have an artist's mind or an engineer's mind, both, both of those minds are important in architecture because really there, there really are so many aspects of architecture that you can, can fall into and can can kind of find your own path. And that, that's something we talk about a lot in the office, actually, that there's not just the cookie cutter architect. I mean, there are some people you you might think they're engineers or you might think they're builders, or you might think they're scientists or teachers or something else. I mean, because there's just a there's really room for a lot of different talents and skills and personalities in architecture. But the other interesting thing is when I was a student, I remember a, a professor telling us at Clemson, that a degree in design can prepare you for almost any career that you could want. And I, and I used to tell my students at the governor's school the same thing, because it really is just about thinking creatively. It's really just about problem solving. Well, what field doesn't need problem solving, right? I mean, you could, you could, study, you could study design and make your way into to some aspect of medicine or science or, you know, there's just a number of things that you could find a career path in once you have, once you learn how to kind of ask questions and solve problems with, with creative thinking. So it's interesting. So some of the people I graduated in architecture with have gone on to other career paths, you know, that, that led them to something else. So it's mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, that is very, like, I don't remember one of my favorite classes in college was a class in logic. And I don't even know if they teach yeah. that nowadays or if, if it's just know. not in a lot of schools, but but it was one of it was so fun uh, learning kind of the A, if, then, B and all those yeah. kind of different things. And man, it was just learning the logical flaws of people's thought processes, you know, the post hoc ergo proctor hawkers. But I'll never forget <laughs> that. But uh, people believe causation versus correlation or something like that. Right. Yeah. Those were interesting. I'm sure. Do you come across a lot of that stuff still? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's because you always have to try to find the string of logic, right? And like figure out like, why is something not working? Or how do we how do we design this in a way that it will work? And if different people come into the, the picture, I mean, just like that Greenville Humane Society example, different people come into the picture, and they have their own thing that they bring into it. So how do you how do you design for for human beings to operate something and, and do it well over time? You know? Yeah. Well, Carrie, I'd like to pivot again back to you and talk about your story. I'm sure that I don't, I've never met anyone who's achieved great levels of, of success that hasn't had some kind of struggle along their journey. You know, I feel like in between our mountains, we've got our valleys that we go through and that's where we learn the most. So I'd love, can you share some of the challenges that you've crossed along the way? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I think that my kind of windy path at times I've wondered if that was a was was working against me you know i mean 
Now I think I have the perspective to see that as a blessing in disguise, right? To go through those times where you're not quite sure what you want to do with your career, you're trying out some different things. Now I see that that really added a lot of value for me. But at the time, it felt like, oh man, am I using my college degree? Am I not using it? What am I doing? You know, how am I going to do this? And so I was also a little bit of an older student going back to school when I when I went to get my master's at Clemson. So I think I think going through that, sometimes it feels like a valley, you know, but then maybe one day and hopefully one day we have the perspective to see the value in it. The other, the other thing that I can clearly see in my career is, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a historically male dominated profession and the profession, you know, and the industry is trying so hard to diversify, you know, and we're, we're making good strides. I mean, but it's still, it, it, it's just, it's, it's still, it's still a male dominated profession. There's still just a lack of diversity in architecture as much as we're trying. And I think that that is, is one of those things that, again, you could kind of feel is, is a negative in your career or is working against you or that you have to struggle with. What I've kind of learned through that is just to try to stay focused on being true to my path and what's right for me, advocating for other people but trying not to let that really get to me in the, in, in the daily day to day, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure Um, there's pros and cons to that lack of diversity for you personally. Like maybe there's more opportunity, but at the same time, I'm sure there's other things you have to work against because you're a female in a male dominated industry. Yeah. I mean, now I'm super thankful that I had a female role model in architecture and a mentor from the very beginning. So I had that from the get go, which was amazing. I mean, because now, you know, I mean, for instance, I, I was in a conversation a, a few months ago with a, with a young black architect, male architect, the young black guy in our office. And he said, you know, I just look around architecture. And there's just not that many people who look like me. And, and it made me so sad. And I thought, you know, I can't even count the number of meetings I've been in where I'm the only female in the meeting. But you can. How do you deal with that? Right. Like, how do you just push through that and, and just not let it get the best of you? And it's possible to do it. It's possible to do it because people do it all the time and people are the first to do things all the time. But I think we all have to just remind ourselves of that, that someone has to be first and someone has to be second and someone has to be third. So how do you do that and not let it get to you? And I have to do you. How do you do that, Carrie? Yeah. You know, I think I I think I just believe in myself and believe in my own path. And so I try to stay focused on that. I try this is way easier said than done, by the way, but I, I try not to compare myself to other people. So because I realize that, you know, it kind of gets you down in a hole sometimes, right? Like if you just follow your own path and you stay true to what you're doing and you believe in what you're doing, then then you can kind of you can kind of deflect some of that because you just yeah. think, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing for me. And it might not be the same thing as somebody else. You know, it might be better or worse. Who knows? But that's not necessarily what's important on a daily basis. Well, that's, that's how I deal with it. But at the same time, obviously, you know, it's important. I was lucky to have a female mentor. It's important that I try to to provide that for others, that I try to advocate for others. Like we all want the profession to change and diversify, but, but it also, I don't know that it helps. I don't know that it helps to, to feel that something might hold us back, right? That we have to just kind of push through that. 
Right. I was talking to uh, Dr. Rebecca Heiss on a, a former episode, and she was mentioning how comparison can be a tricky thing, especially when you're in an industry where there's no one else that looks like you. Because yeah. you sometimes you can compare yourself because you want to you want to compare yourself so that you can get the best out of other people. Like that guy's a great leader. I need to learn leadership skills from him, or that guy's great at talking right. to people, whatever it is. But at the same time, you can't necessarily 100% model because they don't they don't share a lot of the same things as you so and she had some great insight on that so i really like what she said there let's so let's jump 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 to a fun question here carrie okay if you talked about this winding road and this winding path and all these different kind of backgrounds if you had to choose to change career if you had if you weren't an architect now what career path would you like to explore oh man yeah i think i mean i can't imagine doing anything that's not creative somehow. But even if it's like, I could imagine doing something like investigative journalism or something like that, where I'm just trying to find information and connect the dots, you know what I mean? Or even something in medicine where you're trying to solve a problem somehow. So I, I can't imagine doing anything that that wouldn't give me that opportunity to kind of think about things and try to solve something or try to fix the problem for people or get get to the bottom of some information. I mean, it's just fun. It's fun to to figure things out. Yeah. So there's kind of a common thread throughout all of these different paths. They're all at least leading to the same place or they all have a, they all have a same foundation of, I want to help other people. I want to solve problems. I want to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's part of it, right? Like how do you, how do you use your career to improve something? And it could be, it could be any number of things, but how we spend a lot of time on the, on doing what we do every day, you know? And so how do you, how do you use that to improve something to either be of service somehow or to fix something or make changes in some way that creates something positive? for people? Yeah. And that's super important because most people, uh, I, I feel like that there are a lot of people that go through life and they just feel like their job is a grind, yeah. but if they can, if they can figure out a way to at least make their job feel like they're making an impact in their community or their world or their family or something that they're not just a number or another cog in the wheel that that might help them have a little bit more fulfillment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you know, I hear people say that all the time, you know, and, and, you know, people talk a lot about work-life balance and that's actually always been a little bit confusing to me. And, and I'm sure that makes me sound like a workaholic when I say that, like, I don't understand work-life balance. But what I mean by that is that if we, tr- if you truly love what you do, you are truly contributing somehow to your community, to a business, to a school, to young people learning, whatever it might be. How can we think of work less as work and more as something that we're able to do that contributes to the world? And yeah. if we're able to do that, then it, of course, you want some balance and you, you want to live in a healthy way and have everything kind of occupy the right amount of time in your life, your whole life. But it still doesn't feel like a grind. It feels like something you actually have chosen to do as a way to contribute. And, and that's a great thing. And I feel like that it also has, has made people fractured if they're trying to keep a balance, but also separating work from their life instead yeah. of having work, work-life work integration is what I like to call it, right? I mean, I've heard that. I actually have heard that recently. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's shift one more time here, Carrie. I okay. want to know what, how do you define success? Oh man. Well, the, you know, the idea of contributing is probably at the top of the list. I mean, 
I think if we can contribute to the world around us, and again, world has different scales. I mean, that really might be your office, your company, right? Or it might be the whole community or the whole, the whole country. But if we can contribute in some kind of way, and then if that contribution has value to other people, so if there's other people on the receiving end of that who appreciate it, then in theory, there in theory, there's a paycheck associated with it, right? Like if you're doing something and it adds value to other people's lives or to the business or whatever it is, and that that's reciprocated as some kind of value, you know, it adds value and it has value. And so you're then making a living at that thing. And then if at the same time and through all that, you're actually growing as a person. So you're developing certain things in yourself through that work, whether it's certain skills or just ways of communicating or something like that, or you're exploring something, then that's, that's pretty great, right? Like you're, you're making life better for other people. They actually appreciate it in a sense that it, that it turns into some kind of, some kind of value, you know, that comes back to you. And then you're growing and developing as a person. Like, I don't know how, I don't know what's missing from that picture. So if, if, if I can do that with my career and I feel like I'm contributing positively to things, um, and through architecture, I do. I'm lucky that I found architecture and I can feel that way about it. And it, it, but it's challenging enough that it challenges me as a person. You know, I have to resolve conflict or I have to collaborate with other people sometimes. And I might be frustrated through that. So I have to work on that, you know, and kind of stay in a healthy place myself in order to do that. That's good. That's good for me as a person and it's good for other people. Right. Um, so I tend to think that that's, successful. I mean, if, if, if I wasn't hitting on all three of those things, I'm not really sure I would, I'm not really sure I would feel totally fulfilled. So the three things are contributing or adding value. It's also getting challenged and growing. What was the, what was the third one? Well, the other right one now? is that the contribution that you make is somehow appreciated by other people. Gotcha. Um, I, I could be contributing, I could be doing things for other people, but if they don't need it, or they don't care about it, then that's not really adding value, you know? So there has to be right. some, there has to be some value to what you're doing in the world so that it's making a difference. And then, gotcha. and then that, then that, that's value, that's value you're adding. And adding value to the planet period is making things. In other words, is the world better because you've been here? That's right. If you've been adding right. value and there's, you know, I, I like to think the best of people, but there are some people out there who are takers and there are people out there who are givers. And I think that people who out, out there who are givers or adding a value are the ones who actually feel the most fulfilled and they feel happy and they feel successful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs out there, but there's there's a lot, there's a lot that needs to be done in the world. And imagine how powerful it would be if if everybody was doing something that really made them come alive, that they really got excited about, that they were, they didn't, it didn't feel like a grind. It didn't feel like work. If we spend the majority of our day, because we do, doing something, you know, doing some kind of work. But if that was all, if, it, if, if everybody was passionate about what they were doing, imagine how much more contribution could be made uh, to solve problems. I mean, there's so, there's so much to do and there's, there's people to do it. You know, we just, it's just, kind of finding the right path for you where it, where you feel that you're kind of fulfilling those, those interests. Right. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. What is your personal secret of success? If you had to just give out one piece, one nugget of advice to our listeners here, what is that secret of success for Carrie? 
Mm. Well, it, it honestly is really about not separating work from life is such a hard line. I, I recently heard that same phrase, work-life integration. There's a, there's another, there's a quote that I've heard about kind of the art of living and not separating work from life, but just pursuing excellence and whatever your vision of excellence is. So that's different for every person, but whatever your vision of excellence is, just pursuing that in everything that you do then really you're always kind of working and you're always kind of playing and it's all, you know, and, and it doesn't really matter. It's a, somebody else can kind of determine that for you. But I love that idea because think about your hobbies, you know, if there's things that you enjoy doing, you know, on your, you know, on your personal time. I mean, sometimes those things are so much fun and sometimes they're not easy, right? They might, that it might actually be, they might actually be work. Right? They might actually be kind of challenging things. But it's fun. You've chosen to do that. But if if we can do that with all of our time, whether it's hard or easy or whatever it might be, if we can do that with all of our time, then then we're making a difference and we're growing and and we're not separating with hard lines. Now, I mean, having a work life balance. I mean, it's kind of funny because I think if anything gets out of scale, it's tough. You know, it's just like if if you work literally all the time, that's tough, right? You might your health might suffer, your family life might suffer. But if you have fun all the time, your work might suffer. So, you know, that's where the integration comes in and the balance comes in. But I really do think that for me, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be in a career and to be at a point in my career where I can have some of that flexibility um, so that I don't necessarily have to draw a hard line. I really love what I do. And the fact that so many people work remotely now, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. You can kind of blend a little bit more. Right. And I know it can be confusing when you talk about work-life balance and doing something you love doing, because even if you love what you're doing, right. And I love what I'm doing and you love what you're doing, but there's probably still elements of your work that you don't necessarily right. love to do. Right? Right. right. So I know it can be confusing. So you, so you have to figure out how do I take those things and yeah. just, just get through those or grind through those or whatever, but still keep my passion. I know I've heard, you know, I've heard some people say, well, you should tackle the things on your list that you dread the most, like tackle those things first to just get them out of the way. And I've tried to do that. And then I've tried to, I've tried to just kick them down the road and do the opposite. There, I don't know that there's one sure way to do it. There's always going to be things you kind of dread doing, you know, but it is amazing how good it feels when you get some of that stuff knocked off your list. And, and generally right. it's like, you know, that really wasn't as bad as I built it up to be. But it is funny. You know, uh, I read a book by uh, Brian Tracy called eat that frog where he talks about the same thing. Like if you've got to eat, a, if you've got to eat some frogs, in first thing in the morning, you want to grab the biggest frog and eat that yeah. one first. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I have, I have actually developed a habit. Um, I'm an early riser. I get up really early in the morning. I love getting up early in the morning and I do try to tackle some things that maybe are a little less exciting or that I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, it's been on the to-do list for a little long and I've got to just get that because that's when I have the most energy and I feel the most refreshed. And I think I can just, I can plow through this. And really most of the time it is not as bad as it feels to me. But that's when yeah. I try to kind of handle, so, you know, or I'll try to just, you know, clear out some emails or something like that. Just, I, I'll do that early in the morning when I kind of feel the best. And, uh, and it's not as bad. That makes sense. And it was going to, leads me to, to the next question. What are your most beneficial habits, Carrie? Yeah, waking up early is a big thing. And, and it's funny because I was never... 
you know, when I was certainly when I was a teenager, when I was in college, I mean, I slept late and, you know, I was never a morning person. Somewhere I became a morning person and I just love it. I mean, I love getting up and just trying to get a jump on the day. You know, I kind of feel like my my mind is clear. I have more energy. I kind of feel like it's bonus time that I can just get organized. I generally will look at my calendar for the day and for the week and just get organized and kind of tee up some things. And it's it's been super helpful to me. I think it's helped me to stay organized, just that habit. And so there's some people who are night owls and maybe they do the same thing at night. I don't know, but early morning works really well for me. So you haven't always been an early bird then? No, not at all. That How did you make that transition? Well, honestly, the way, you know, in architecture, to become a licensed architect, you've got to take a number of exams. And it's always a big thing for everybody to kind of get through these exams. And it's just, it's hard to carve out the time to study. It, there, it's actually a pass-fail exam. So there's a lot of just pressure built in to, to wanting to pass the exam. It's very time-consuming. So when I was studying for the exam, a coworker of mine said, you really need to start waking up early and just carving out like two hours in the morning to study because nobody ever wants to study when you get home from work. It's hard to do over your lunchtime, all stuff like that. And at first I thought, well, that's just a dumb idea. I'm not waking up four o'clock in the morning studying, you know? Well, finally I just tried it and it was great. (laughs) I mean, I I started studying from four to six in the morning. I plowed through the exam. I mean, it was great. And I've just never gotten out of the habit. So I get up at four every day I mean, wow. not on the weekend, but I, I know. So I get up and it's awesome time. I mean, it's just quiet. It's, I just really do feel like it's kind of bonus time. But my coworkers are funny because they, they pick at me about getting emails from me at all hours of the morning. And, you know, and I don't expect people to write me back at that time by any means, but it's just a way for me to get some things off my list, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I'm sure Benjamin Franklin would uh, agree with you when he said early to early to bed, early to rise, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, exactly. What other what other beneficial habits do you have, Carrie? Well, I'm a little bit of a I'm a little bit of a nut with organization in general. You know, I take a lot of notes. I have my I keep my calendar. You know, really, I mean, I just live by my calendar, and I keep everything is very color coded and very organized on my calendar. But I just, I find that it simplifies things for me. If I can stay organized and I know where to find things, especially notes from meetings or just my uh, to-do list, you know, if I can kind of keep on top of those things, it, it simplifies everything. You know, you, you just don't waste time trying to remember where you left off or kind of not prioritizing the right thing, you know? So it's, I'm a little bit of a nut with it, but it's, uh, it's definitely a, it's definitely a habit that I think helps me an awful lot. Are you keeping these notes on like actual paper? Or are you on your laptop? No, or are you keeping? I keep. I use OneNote now. Uh, okay. I used to keep notes on actual paper. You know, a lot of architects carry around these cool black notebooks. You know, if you ever see anybody walking fast around town with a little cool black notebook, they're probably an architect. But I I did that for a long time. But I now I keep everything on the computer because you can access you know on all your devices and everything. I mean, technology now helps us so much to stay organized. So, so much easier than than five hundred post it notes sitting around your oh, office, yeah. right? Oh yeah, I did. I went through the post it note phase. Yeah, I can't do. Yeah, I keep it all. I keep it all on OneNote now. And uh, and then my team, uh, all my team members have, we share notebooks together on OneNote so we can add things, you know, add notes to each other or kind of see each other's to-do list or something like that. So it's really oh, cool. that's pretty cool. 
So you guys yeah. can make notes, yeah. make notes back and forth to each other within that. Yeah. 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 But organization, I mean, that's just, that's one of the things you have to develop habits for yourself. Not what works for me might not work for other people, but finding what does work is just so helpful. And the busier you get and the more responsibility you have, I mean, just keeping up with all the moving parts is really hard. It's really hard to keep up with everything. And so I I kind of rely on staying organized. It just verifies everything. Yeah, I know on a previous episode, I talked to a a gentleman named David Pence, and he talked about creating lists were his big, that was his number one secret success are if you can just keep lists in front of you, you know, he he said, I've got maybe 40 or 50 different spreadsheets or whatever, and I've just got lists. But that's, that's how he keeps organized, right? Maybe that's not how Carrie does, but through one note, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, well, think about, I mean, you can take on more and more in your life you can be a part of more and more, you know, more projects or working with people or taking on more responsibility with your job, whatever it might be. But there's just so many moving parts and everything moves so quickly now, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting in architecture because I think my my grandfather was an engineer and I think, I wonder how different his day-to-day job was from my job. You know, when you had to review or draw drawings by hand, and then mail them to somebody, you know, for them to review them. I mean, now we just do all of it so quickly. And, yeah. and you email something to somebody and you expect a response pretty quickly. You know what I mean? And everything is just so instantaneous now that there's so much crammed into a day and trying to soak every hour out of the day and, and, and get as much done as you can and move projects along and be a part of a lot of things, you know? and and so to stay organized in that is just so critical. I mean, if, if, if you couldn't stay organized in it, there's just no way you could actually participate in that much. Right. Right. A lot of people think they've maxed out their capacity, but really they just maxed, maxed out their organization. Right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. And I'm sure there's pros and cons to the way your grandfather used to do it. I mean, yes, we're able to get things done quicker or whatever, but sometimes we don't take a moment and breathe and enjoy life. So. I know. I wor- yeah, I wonder about that. You know, how do you yeah. what what are we missing in the process now that you know is is it even is it even just a level of thoughtfulness and conversation in the design process? You know, I don't know. We're moving so quickly. Sometimes right. Yeah, you worry that things get, you know, fall between the cracks. I don't know. Right. Well, let's make another transition here, Carrie, and talk about, tell us a little bit about Macmillan Pazin Smith architecture. What kind of projects do you guys obviously you're in the commercial space? But what kind of projects do you guys like to do? Oh, we, so we basically do almost every commercial type of building other than, I mean, or every type of building other than single family residential. We do multifamily residential. So apartment buildings will do. Uh, But primarily we focus on K-12 education, college and and university. So higher ed, uh, healthcare, a big healthcare team. Industrial is actually really growing. I mean, think about the economy in South Carolina is really booming with those types of facilities. So we've been really busy with industrial facilities. But then we also do um, restaurants, retail, office buildings, um, you know, a, a theater. I mean, you know, some of my projects have been in the performing arts space, but primarily for K-12 and higher ed. Um, so those those are kind of the big ones. But we've got we've got teams that are dedicated to those different types of projects. And so those people are able to develop really deep expertise in those certain types of markets. So they do a lot of 
research in those areas. They have, you know, they they do uh, interviews and write white papers on those things. I mean, they they really get really deep into certain areas. And then there's other folks who maybe are generalists and go across those market types. And so then they can kind of bring some fresh perspective into some of those projects and, and uh, conversations. So just about anything in the commercial space, just uh, about, even, industri- yeah. even in industrial space, uh, yeah. you've got, and you've got specialists, you say they can do anything. So we spoke earlier about aspiring architects. Are you guys hiring? Oh, yes. In fact, we are, we are, we are, we are hiring we, uh, for almost any position, we, we also have interior design, actually, and we've got a, some dedicated folks who do what we call construction administration. So the, the folks that go out to the job sites all the time. Now, the architect always stays involved, but there's some specialists who really understand construction. So, so anybody in, in architecture, interior design, planning, uh, construction administration, we're, we're absolutely hiring. And, you know, what's interesting about MPS maybe is a little bit different than a lot of firms is that we have a lot of offices in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. And some people will say your offices seem kind of close together. You know, why would you have offices close together? But it's, it's primarily because we, we want to be the kind of architects who know our community really closely and contribute to our community. We design buildings in the same cities where we live um, and, and raise our families. And so that's important to us. And so we don't, we don't want to be, we don't want to do projects too terribly far away where we have to kind of fly in, do a building and fly back out. We want to stay and build relationships where we are. Those types of projects that I was going through, I mean, you can imagine those types of projects happen a lot, you know, in cities and uh, especially in the growing cities where we are. So, so we've got offices in, um, in those three states and I always want to be able to get to those, those projects quickly, you know, and stay in touch with those clients and get to know them and work, work with them year after year. Right, it's important to live in the environment where you're where you're yeah. doing this work. It it makes you feel more like you're com- contributing. It, like you talked about earlier, like you're making adding value as opposed to flying off, you know, doing architecture for a building and then flying back home. You never see that building yeah. again for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you exactly. don't you don't even know the community that lives there and who's being impacted by it. Uh, whereas you get to walk by the peace center and be like, hey, I had I had something to do. You get your walk yeah, by the right. you know uh, the Greenville Humane Society and be like, yeah, I was involved in that. Yeah. You, I remember back when I was right out of college, I used to build fences and decks and, and do construction. And I remember being able to look at a fence at the end of the day and be like, hey, I built that. Yeah. You know, and it, know. just a little bit of sense of accomplishment. I know. It is amazing, actually. Um, you know, or even work on a building, you know, in, in an area that you're super familiar with and you really know and you've seen that area grow or develop or change over time. And then to be able to contribute to that is really special. You know, what a great area to be in, too, right? Oh Greenville goodness, is one of the top 10 cities in America to relocate to, one of the top 10 fastest growing cities. What a great area, Carrie. And hey, you're, yeah. you're probably one of the people that are responsible for that. So everybody get online, go to Facebook or LinkedIn and send Carrie a thank you. Send McMillan, Paz and Smith a thank you for what they're doing. Right. Uh, no, so, I would say it's funny whenever, um, you know, there's so many cranes and construction sites around Greenville. And uh, I always tell I always tell people, you know, that's job security for me. If you see if you see construction sites and there's a lot of development, you know, you can be sure that architects and contractors are busy. Engineers, we're all busy. Yeah. So if someone if a potential client or maybe one of these uh, aspiring architects wanted to find you guys, I guess you're what, what's the uh, web address for you? Yeah, our website is MacmillanPastonSmith.com. We're also on Facebook. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Carrie Perkins on LinkedIn. 
So yeah, any anybody is is welcome. We've got actually a careers page on our website that lists all of our current openings and our portfolios, obviously there, and some information about us and our culture and uh, what we're all about. All of that can be found online. Or any, anybody's welcome to reach out to me. We, we everybody at MPS really is just you know we we love what we do and we are really committed to our office culture. So we love sharing that with people. Uh, we have school groups that come and tour the office a lot. Uh, actually, all of our offices uh, love to host community events and that type of thing. And so anybody who's interested in doing that is, is more than welcome to reach out. And one thing I'll promote for Carrie and uh, McMillan, Paz and Smith is that they are always they're, they're very approachable, you know, throughout this whole uh, even throughout this whole routine of getting you onto the podcast. I, I spoke to several different people and connected with a lot of different people through LinkedIn and uh, and everybody seemed like they were great and, and want, welcoming and encouraging and wanting to be a part of this. Uh, so, Carrie, it's been definitely been a pleasure to have you on here. You know, I would just encourage anybody interested in architecture to, to find a way to reach out, whether you reach out to an architect or reach out to a school like Clemson. Clemson is the only architecture school in South Carolina, but certainly in other states, there's there's uh, accredited architecture programs. But reach out and learn more about it because it really is a great I mean, it, it, number one, it's a great career. I mean, I, I am in love with what I do every day, but it also, like I said, it, it can lead to so many other things. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over.